Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com, who are also producers of EWTN's Living Right with Dr. Ray Garendi. to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host, and here we are already on the third Sunday of Lent, the midpoint of Lent according to the Gregorian calendar. In the Byzantine Catholic liturgical calendar, we call this the third Sunday of Lent or mid-Lent or the veneration of the Holy Cross. This is also a very, very significant time in the history of the church as our Pope has just recently now officially renounced the papacy, meaning he is no longer acting as the Pope. Renouncing doesn't mean that he has something against it, and he's rejecting it. It's just that he can no longer go on, as he explained. And as I said in a previous program, and I will continue to look at this issue because it is very significant, let's face it, this is something that is very, very unusual. It hasn't happened for hundreds of years in the church. Imagine, we're living through history, a very, very significant aspect of history. I think of my own life. I've only lived to the age of 59. In fact, I just turned 59 a day ago. And I think to myself, in that time of my life, what I've seen, and in particular in terms of the papacy, I literally witnessed the attempt on the Pope's life, John Paul II, in St. Peter's Square. I was there live when it happened. And also I'm witnessing what hasn't happened in many centuries, and that is the renouncing of the papacy of a living pope. So this is very significant, and it's significant on a lot of levels. One of those, as I mentioned before, and and of particular interest for us on this program, Light of the East, is the implications and the reaction of the popes renouncing the papacy to the, in terms of the Orthodox, you know, what this means for the Orthodox, the other parts of the Eastern lung of the church, as John Paul II would refer to the Eastern churches. He would say that the church breathes with both lungs, East and West. So there are Eastern Catholic churches and there are Eastern Orthodox churches. And this is a significant moment in history for ecumenism between East and West. Well, I've often wondered what would the Orthodox think? What is their reaction to this event of the Pope renouncing the papacy? And I came across one article by an Orthodox priest that I want to offer to you for consideration. I thought it was rather telling and an interesting article. It's by Father Johannes J. Jacobse. I think I'm pronouncing that right. His last name is spelled J-A-C-O-B-S-E. 
so I'm going to pronounce it Jacobsi. And he's an Orthodox priest from Naples, Florida, and he is the president of the American Orthodox Institute. And he wrote a letter, a statement, and this is what it says. Like almost everyone, the resignation of Pope Benedict came as a shock to Orthodox believers. Those of us who have watched Pope Benedict and his predecessor, Pope John Paul II, work to lessen the estrangement between the Catholic and Orthodox churches, hope that Pope Benedict's successor will continue on the same path. Two things stand out in Pope Benedict's relationship with the Orthodox churches. First is his deep understanding of the Christian patrimony of Christendom. The Christian foundation of culture should be self-evident to most, but in our post-Christian and poorly catechized age, our historical memory has grown increasingly dim. Religion vivifies culture. Christianity is the well from which meaning and purpose are drawn. That meaning and purpose shapes law, institutions, and the other constituents that define Western culture. Many have forgotten that, while others don't even know it. The loss of this Christian cultural awareness has created a moral crisis of the first order. When faith dies, man gradually loses the knowledge that he was created by God, and so he loses himself. Only through concrete, existential encounter with the risen Christ can man come to know God in the full measure of God's self-revelation to him through Jesus Christ. And only in this relationship can man learn what it is to be truly human. Any kind of decline follows contours that are specific to the culture within which the decline occurs. In our technological age, we tend to see man as a machine and the self-organization of society as strictly a rational enterprise. In the simplest terms, our crisis is the dehumanization of the individual person. Pope Benedict understood this acutely, no doubt because of his first-hand experience with Nazism and the barbarity it unleashed in Western Europe. His work to recover and restore the Christian roots of Christendom is a prophetic call to return to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only a return to Christ can reverse this mark to cultural suicide, but only the embrace of Christ will reveal to a man who he was created to be. The Orthodox hear this, particularly Orthodox conservatives in the Christian West and the Russian Orthodox Church. Conservatives see the decline. The Russian Orthodox Church has experienced its bitter fruit. Pope Benedict has furthered the common project to restore the Christian foundations of culture. Clearly, this is divinely ordained. The shared mission increasingly leads to a reevaluation of the historical barriers that has contributed to centuries of estrangement between the Eastern and Western churches and promises more progress in the future. The Orthodox wonder about Pope Benedict's replacement. If the new Pope is a cultural conservative in the mold of Popes Benedict and John Paul II, then we know that the reproachment of the last four decades will continue. If not, it would be more difficult to find common ground. We wonder, too, if the Catholic Church's crucial role in preserving the religious heritage of the Christian West will continue with the same deliberation. We hope that it does. A second important characteristic of Pope Benedict's service in office is his understanding of the Orthodox patrimony within Christendom. The Regensburg Address is perhaps the most penetrating analysis of the contribution of Hellenism to Christianity offered by a Western Christian in centuries. Regensburg was met with immediate hostility by the Muslims and thus misinterpreted by the mainstream press. The press seems to have a congenital inability to comprehend any idea outside of an immediate political context. In actual fact, 
the address is a historical and theological tour de force and gently reminds the Christian West that ignoring the patrimony of the Christian East is like looking at history with one eye closed. We should be careful not to underestimate the importance of Regensburg. It may have significant impact down the road. Pope Benedict already started the discussion by drawing out ideas about the non-coercive nature of the Christian faith, considerations that require much more elaboration, especially as the hostility towards the Christian faith increases in coming years, and as Christendom faces the historical problem of Muslim expansion once again. Regensburg is a testament to Pope Benedict's towering intellect, but it also reveals a deep humility. There simply is not one hint of triumphalism or false note of partisanship in it. It was clearly intended as a gift to both West and East, and those with ears to hear will see that. Pope Benedict's rare insight and erudition of the Eastern patrimony strengthens both West and East, and many Orthodox believers are grateful for it. May God grant us more teachers like him. What does a retired pope do? Listening to Catholic radio, it appears even the Catholic Church does not know for sure. It is reported that Pope Benedict will retire to a monastery within the Vatican and spend his remaining years in prayer and study. May his remaining years bear much fruit. We still need him. Again, this is a statement written by Father Johannes J. Jacobsi. He's an Orthodox priest serving in Naples, Florida. He is president of the American Orthodox Institute. And to find out more about this, or to obtain this letter yourself, you can go to aousa.org slash blog. That's aousa.org slash blog. I don't know about you, but certainly myself as a Catholic, and specifically an Eastern Catholic. And as an Eastern Catholic, you have to remember that we're kind of in a interesting position. Sometimes it's precarious because many times our Orthodox brethren kind of look at us with a certain agitation. Not all of them all the time, but some do. And this is a historical thing because they believe that the Eastern Catholic churches, which were once part of the Orthodox church, kind of betrayed them. It's like the children kind of sneaked out of daddy's house and went over to live in the neighbor's house. The neighbor, of course, would be the Roman Catholic church. And I'm referring to the reunions by parts of the Orthodox churches, which, of course, gave us today what we know as the Eastern Catholic churches. On the other hand, many in the Roman Catholic Church are not aware, even aware, that there are Eastern Catholic churches within the whole Catholic Church. Hopefully, those of you who listen to this program are more well aware because that's part of the mission of this program. And so we're in a precarious position sometimes. And so I find the perspective of this Orthodox priest on the renunciation of the papacy by Benedict XVI to be very, very interesting, very conciliatory, very complimentary, very honest, very hopeful, and in many ways, I think, a very, very positive statement. We're going to talk more about this and some other aspects of this Lenten season when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. 
You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. And like Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish on Facebook. Seeds of love endure. Hitler and Stalin didn't. And now, a Szeptycki Institute Minute with Father Peter Galadza. During World War II, the Ukrainian Catholic Archbishop Andrei Szeptycki saved hundreds of Jews from Hitler's Holocaust. Kurt Lewin, the son of the murdered chief rabbi of Lviv, was one of them. In 1990, the Ukrainian Catholic Church emerged from 50 years of Stalinist and Soviet oppression. Lewin later wrote, The compass that guided me all these years was the memory of the encounter with Archbishop Sheptitsky and his brother Clement, two spiritual giants who by their example charted a course for many. The efforts of their lifetime seemed to be destroyed at the end of their lives, but time has shown that the seeds they sowed resulted in a rich and rewarding harvest. To learn about degree programs in Eastern Christian Studies, visit shiptitskyinstitute.ca. That's S-H-E-P-T-Y-T-S-K-Y institute.ca. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to TaborLife.org. That's TaborLife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's TaborLife.org. Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lowe, your host here on the midpoint of Lent, the third Sunday of Lent, the Lenten Sunday in which we say in the Byzantine liturgical calendar the veneration of the cross, the Sunday of the veneration of the Holy Cross. Before we get to that, I just want to conclude some of our comments about this rather remarkable letter, I thought, from Father Johannes J. Jacobsi, an Orthodox priest from Naples, Florida. And again, if you want to find out more about this statement that I read, you can go to aoiusa.org slash blog. aoiusa.org slash blog. Now, there's just one point in particular I want to focus on just for a moment. And that is, if you notice that as an Orthodox priest, now, now no one person speaks for all of Orthodoxy. However, we can get a certain sense of where the Orthodox churches are by certain people and certain statements. And I think this, this one certainly, I think, is reflective perhaps of, of many in the Orthodox churches. And one of the things he said here, which was very, very salient, is how he admired Pope Benedict XVI for a number of things, but in particular for his understanding of the Orthodox patrimony within Christendom. In other words, to put it simply, how Benedict XVI, and before him, John Paul II too, but in a particular way, Benedict, had a way of communicating a real appreciation for the historical legacy of the Eastern churches in terms of the history of the church and of their, their patrimony, their contribution, their significance. And I think the Orthodox really respected the, the Pope for that. He didn't have an agenda. He wasn't speaking just from a position of trying to preserve the sort of the, the monarchical power of the papacy and so on. 
He had a very honest and realistic, a scholastically honest perspective on things, including the papacy. And in fact, I believe that one of the reasons that he was able to, in his conscience, renounce the papacy is precisely because I think he had a razor-sharp understanding of it. In many ways, the Eastern Church looks at the papacy as having perhaps grown in certain ways disproportionately over centuries, and this is largely due to historical factors. And I think Benedict was very sensitive to that. And being the honest scholar he is, and as this priest said, a man with a towering intellect, I think he was willing to look at that issue for the good of the church. Well, there's many other things we can say about this, and hopefully we'll hear more about this, more reactions from our Orthodox brethren, because it's very, very significant. As I mentioned, there's a very significant moment in history, but it's also significant in its ecumenical implications between the Orthodox churches and the Roman Catholic Church. And of course, one of the missions of this very program, like the East, is Christianity's reunion between the East and West. So we're very, very interested in the reaction of our Eastern brethren, both Eastern Catholic and Orthodox, to this incredible historical event, uh, the renunciation of the papacy by Pope Benedict XVI. Well, as I mentioned before, this is also the third Sunday of Lent, the Sunday of the veneration of the cross. Listen to a couple of the prayers that we say in the Byzantine church during this day. One of the things we say is this, and, re- and try to listen now to the seemingly contradictory nature of this very short prayer. We bow to your cross, O Lord, and we praise your holy resurrection. We bow to your cross, O Lord, and we praise your holy resurrection. Now, just kind of remember that for a moment. Hang on to that thought. We're going to come back to it. I'm going to offer a couple other prayers to you from our liturgical calendar or liturgical divine office in the Byzantine church. Listen to these prayers. Shine brightly, O life-giving cross of the Lord, the rays of your grace enlighten the hearts of those who venerate and piously embrace you. Through you, the tears of our eyes have been dried up. We have been delivered from the snares of Hades, and we have a share in eternal joy. Show us the splendor of your beauty. Grant your gifts and blessings to the faithful who pray with them for your protection and great mercy. And here's a couple other prayers. This is the day in which we bow before the life-giving cross. Come, let us all venerate it, resplendent in the light of the resurrection. It is given to us. Let us kiss it in the joy of the Spirit. O lofty cross of my Lord, show me the divine image of your beauty. Grant that I may adore your most pure glory. I speak to you and surround you with reverence, as if you were alive. Now, why would we, in a sense, sort of prayerfully gush all over the cross? Why would we say, contradictory things in one breath, such as we bow to your cross, O Lord, and we praise your holy resurrection. Why would we bow to and sort of gush over and admire and rejoice and venerate something that is an instrument, a symbol of everything that is bad, of suffering, of death, of shame, of mockery, of abuse, of disrespect, of blood and guts and suffering? Why? Why would we do that? And at the same time, we're doing it with a certain joy. Well, many of us have been brought up with the saying, and I remember I've heard this all my life, and we often hear it, oh, I'm carrying my cross. Or if there's something or someone that we're having difficulty with, we sometimes kind of roll our eyes and sigh and say, well, I guess that's my cross. Well, there is truth to that. But on this third Sunday of Lent, in which the Eastern churches look at the cross, I would like to bring a little bit of a different perspective. 
Again, it's more of an Eastern perspective, more of a both and, as you're probably picking up now. In that one short phrase, we bow to your cross and praise your holy resurrection, you see a classic both and statement in that one short prayer. We bow to your cross, Lord, and praise your holy resurrection, or we glorify your holy resurrection, whichever translation you want to use. But the idea is that we're combining two seemingly opposite ideas in one prayer, in one breath. And this is typically Eastern. And an Eastern perspective on the cross would be this. It wouldn't be where we just look at it as an instrument of suffering. You know, we kind of go through life toughing it out, carrying our cross. Yes, that's true. That is part of it. But there's more to it. Got to think more of the both and. This is very Eastern now, very Byzantine. And why we celebrate the cross, focus on it on the third Sunday of Lent. The amazing thing about the cross, the mystery of the cross, and right away I'm giving you a hint with the word mystery. Mystery means something revealed and something hidden all at the same time. Mystery is kind of a a union of two seemingly opposite realities, heaven and earth in particular. The mystery of the cross is such that, yes, there is suffering, but simultaneously, at the same time of that which is bad, what we consider to be bad or unwanted or unplanned, at the same time, there is happening a redemption. In other words, the very thing that we see as bad, the very thing that we don't want, we did not plan for, is the very thing that we might, in fact, need. It's the very thing that will bring about good. In other words, God is bringing about good at the very moment, simultaneously with the unfolding of what seems to be bad. Take an exa- this example that I often come across as a pastor. Nowadays, it is rather common that adults have to put their parents into nursing homes. And sometimes their parents will live in nursing homes for several years, and the adult children will go to visit them faithfully. But they watch them decline, especially if they have a condition such as, for instance, dementia, which is very, or Alzheimer's, which is very, very difficult to watch in a loved one. It's very difficult for an adult child to watch their parent sort of mentally fade away, not even recognize them anymore, or even act hostile to them. Sometimes the adult child will ask me, why does God allow this? Why should my mother or my father suffer like this? What they're looking at is the cross. They're, they're bearing their cross. They're looking at what is bad, what is unwanted, what is painful. They're looking at suffering, seemingly injustice. And my answer to them is, this is happening largely for your sake and for the sake of others. Because look at yourself. Look at what's happened to you since you've been enduring this with, for instance, your mother. You've had to dig down deep into some of the best of human virtues within yourself that otherwise may have laid fallow had it not been for this time with your mother in the nursing home and her condition. I'm not saying that God wants suffering or that we should rejoice in the fact of suffering. What I am saying, though, is that the mystery of the cross is that while you are seeing or experiencing suffering or something is undesirable, unplanned in your life, At the same time, that thing becomes gift. That thing is producing good. That thing is becoming, at the same time, an instrument of redemption, of transformation for you and you don't know how many other people as well. This is just one example of how the cross is so much more than just toughing it out, just carrying our cross and slogging through life suffering. It's about redemption. It's about living in the both and. It's about 
making God the God of everything, God having the last word even on the worst things. And that's why in the Byzantine church on this Sunday, this third Sunday of Lent, we bow before that cross and we do exclaim, we bow to cross the Lord and we praise your holy resurrection. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>